Okay, if in your Bibles you would like to turn to the book of Mark and chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read a few verses from verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have no faith. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's the passage that we're going to just spend a few moments in. Uh, This morning, it's relatively early on in the book of Mark. Um, Jesus is relatively early on in his ministry. He's started to preach and teach. He started to share about the kingdom of God. He started to uh, choose and draw disciples to himself. It's kind of a momentum building as he's been uh, teaching and preaching, but also healing the sick, also seeing um, demons cast out. Large crowds are gathering. And so there's a real sense of his popularity is growing. Uh, at the same time, accusation and criticism is growing as well amongst uh, religious leaders who um, aren't all that impressed with Jesus. And then it arrives at this point, when Jesus announces, let us go over to the other side. Now, in some ways, this feels like kind of um, sharing the end of a story before you've got into the first chapter, or uh, saying the end of of a film before someone's actually managed to watch it. But here, in a nutshell is the summary, the kind of main thrust, as it were, that comes through from this event, from this event in Jesus' life and his disciples' life, and it's this. So if you're a note-taker this morning, and there are many avid note-takers amongst us, here is something you can write down that will encapsulate what these verses are talking about and what I'm about to talk about as well. Thereafter, you can relax or maybe make a few notes if you want to. But here it is. Jesus leads his disciples through times of testing in order to train them for what lies ahead. There it is in a nutshell. That's what this passage is saying. That's pretty much all that I'm going to say. Jesus leads his disciple, disciples through times of testing, maybe through times of tribulation or trial in order to train them for what lies ahead. And we're going to break that down and look at it in a few chunks. Now that's true in this passage here. And that's true of the year that is ahead of us. This is the first time that we've gathered together in the new year, the third 
of January 2010, a new year. Wouldn't it be great? Well, it wouldn't really, but sometimes we can think, wouldn't it be great if we could just get a crystal ball and, uh, and kind of look into what's going to happen in the year ahead? What's going to unfold in my life? What's going to unfold in the life of us as a church? What is God going to be doing uh, this year? Now, obviously, it's not necessarily right for us to know details, but you can be sure that this will be true of our year ahead as a church, of your year ahead, of the things that await you. Jesus will lead us. We're his disciples. He will be leading us. That is true. Second thing, he will be leading us through times of testing. There will be this year, probably this week, but there certainly will be this year for us as a church, but for us as individuals as well, times of testing. Times of perplexion, times of kind of not understanding what's going on here. In this situation, it was a storm that suddenly threw up. There will be times of testing. However, also, the third thing is true, that Jesus will be training us for what lies ahead. Jesus will be training us for new things that he knows about, that perhaps for us, they're over the horizon. God is intimately aware of them. God is leading us. There will be times of testing, but he's training us so that we can meet new things that lie ahead. There it is. There it is. So first thing, Jesus leads his disciples. Jesus is on a, mi- a mission, and he has a message about God, that the kingdom of God is near. He says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He has a message to bring, and people need to hear it. And so because there is a message, there's a mission. Jesus is going from place to place. It involves movement. It involves things changing. There's one point earlier on in Mark where Jesus goes off to pray in a solitary place. And... uh, Simon Peter goes to find him. And when he finds him in, in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 37, um, Simon and his companions say, everyone is looking for you. In other words, let's stick around. Let's stay just here. Everyone is looking for you. You need to go and speak to the people again. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus is on a mission. That mission involves sharing a message. That message involves movement. Involves He's not just going to stay in the same place. Nothing kind of stays the same when Jesus is around. So Jesus here, where we're looking at in chapter 4, verse 35, again, he's, he's announcing a new direction. Let us go to the other side. We've been there teaching a great crowd of people. Like I say, great popularity is coming his way. People are hanging on his every word, gathering from many places to come and hear, what has Jesus got to say? What message has Jesus got for us today? And Jesus says to his disciples, actually, there's a new place for us to go to now. There's a new, uh, a new direction. It's the same for us today. Jesus is still on a mission. He's on a mission through us, his church. And... Uh, that mission, he and Luke records in, in Luke chapter 4, kind of elaborating on, on how Jesus understands 
his mission in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, quoting the scripture from Isaiah, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blinds, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus is about. That's his mission. And now it's happening through the church, through us, preaching good news, sharing a message of good news, proclaiming freedom for people, seeing recovery of sight for the blind, miracles, seeing people released from oppression, proclaiming to people, this is the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord wants to do you good. The Lord has plans to do you good. That's the message that Jesus has, and that's the message that Jesus has today through the church. And so nothing is going to stay the same. Nothing stays the same uh, indefinitely when Jesus is around. Because there is this this mission, there's movement, there's change. He announces here this new direction. Now, for many people here, this new year could bring with it new responsibilities. New responsibilities in the church, new responsibilities in the workplace, perhaps. New responsibilities where, where God is clearly giving you direction, but there can be a feeling of, oh, I feel stretched. This feels like, oh, I'm not quite ready, but there's this new thing to step into. New opportunities that God will be bringing through this year. Maybe new opportunities in witnessing about your faith in Christ to other people. It might be new locations. It might be God is calling you into serving him in a new way, serving him in a new place, serving him in different ways, maybe even living in a different location. There can be new locations. There can be new challenges. It seems at the moment that for many in the church, there's going to be the new challenge of being a parent for the first time, new life coming, and with it coming new challenges, new responsibilities there. And as well, God has plans to bring us New breakthroughs, new breakthroughs in terms of seeing people saved, in being more involved in the miraculous. Jesus is a leader, and he will be leading us into many of these different things. I'm sure that when we meet the first time in 2011, it's unlikely to be that the kind of consensus of opinion amongst us will be that we'll look back onto 2010 and say, well, that was the year that really not that much happened. That was the year when, when kind of everything went a bit quiet on the God front. God maybe was lost in thoughts for a while, and we didn't hear much from him, and it didn't seem there were new things he was wanting to bring us into. That is going to be very, very unlikely that that will be the consensus of opinion, this time next year. Why is that? Because Jesus is leading. Jesus leads his disciples. And so you can be sure that Jesus leads us. Leads us into new things. Sometimes exciting things. Sometimes scary things. But he will be leading. Now at first glance, at this point in time, the disciples may have been thinking, This decision of Jesus to go to the other side 
seems a little bit odd. So it's fine to us to say, yes, Jesus leads his disciples. I wonder if you have ever had cause in your mind to question the Lord Jesus' leadership in your life. Have you ever had a time where you've kind of just wondered for a moment, what's he actually up to? What's he doing? This doesn't seem comfortable. Here's why the disciples might have thought that. It says there in verse 35, that day when evening came. Wow, you might be thinking. Well, evening comes. It's been a long, hard day of teaching, meeting with a big crowd. Jesus picks that point in time, the end of the day, perhaps when tiredness for himself and for his disciples has already set in. He chooses that time to say, right, it's time to move. It's time to go to a new place. It's time. Let's get into the boat and let's go. It's evening. He said, let's go to the other side. The other side of what? The other side of the, uh, the Lake of Galilee. So setting out on this journey, they have somewhere between perhaps 8 and 12 miles of sailing to do in order to get to the other side. And it's the very end of the day. It's maybe getting dark. In fact, this is also a lake that is known to be subject to sudden storms flaring up, surrounded by mountains, and the lake itself is quite a few hundred meters below sea level. Apparently, I don't understand why, but apparently that's like a recipe for kicking up a lot of storms without much warning. So, what's going on here? Jesus is leading, but the timing and the direction of his leadership could seem a little bit odd. They're meeting with this big crowd of people who are eager to hear everything he has to say. Why then leave the crowd to go who knows where to meet who knows whom when there's such an eager crowd right here? But Jesus knows the voice of his father and he knows, no, this is the time to make the move. Sometimes God's leadership in our life doesn't appear all that pragmatic, doesn't appear to always make sense. And sometimes we can be thinking from our point of view, hang on, surely, surely there's some more reasonable option. And sometimes we can be thinking ourselves, I'm just not ready for this. I'm not ready yet for this new thing. I'm quite comfortable. I know where I stand in this environment. And then Jesus comes, it's time to move on. It's time to go, what? But we were having so much fun. And there's this big crowd of people, and they're hanging on your every word. Why, why now? Why now the time for the new direction? Why, why now a new responsibility? I don't feel I'm ready for this. The timing doesn't quite seem right to me. But the way to determine whether God's timing is right is not to see how convenient or easy this change is for us. There might be inconvenience. There might be that feeling of stretching. If the year ahead involves stepping into something new, some new responsibility, or stepping eventually uh, maybe into a different school, or into a different class, or facing the challenge of different exams, or stuff that you've never faced before, you are bound to come up in this year against things that you've never faced before. The disciples hadn't faced this before. Jesus had picked them out and chosen them. 
but they'd always been part of this big crowd. They'd always been kind of observing and hearing what Jesus is doing. But here, Jesus says to them, in effect, let's leave the crowd. It's time to head out into a new direction. Jesus' leadership of our lives, though, can absolutely be trusted. From our perspective, we can think, oh, this doesn't seem quite pragmatic. Jesus is at total liberty not to be bound by our ideas about what makes sense. Jesus is leading his disciples. He says, let us go over to the other side. So Jesus leads his disciples. Jesus leads us, leads us into new things, new responsibilities, new challenges. And it is the right time and it is the right direction. It's the right plan that he's got for us. Jesus leads his disciples. Second thing, Jesus leads his disciples through times of testing. There's a point in time when um, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 return to a few of the cities that they had visited before, shared the gospel with, seen some uh, new believers established in a group, and they decide to go back. Uh, Acts 14, verse 21, 22. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. What wonderful, nourishing encouragement they must have received. They could, you can just imagine them right now. Oh, please come and tell us more. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Do I hear an amen? Almost. <laughs> Jesus leads his disciples through a time of testing. Here on the lake, lo and behold, a furious storm does kick up with such ferocity that it threatens to overwhelm the boat that Jesus and his disciples are in. They, there are experienced hands on deck. Some of his disciples are fishermen. So they must have been familiar with the sorts of conditions that could suddenly crop up on this lake. But even amongst them, it's not long before panic sets in. I mean, put yourself, put yourself in the scene. Sometimes it's so easy, with a gift of hindsight, to read through the scriptures and just think, silly disciples, come on guys, we all know better than that. Jesus is saying, why are you so afraid? And we might read it and think, yeah, come on. Why are you so afraid? We can just think of the disciples in quite a disparaging way. But if we put ourselves in the scene, surely we can understand this would have been absolutely horrifying. Waves are crashing into the boat. And it looks like it's going to sink. And the one who gave the direction... The one who said, let's go to the other side, is asleep at the back of the boat. Now, I'm not suggesting that the disciples were right to criticize Jesus when they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? But let's be honest for a moment. We've probably all been in situations uh, where we have been tempted to draw the same conclusions. In effect, what the disciples say there indicates that they had two conclusions in mind. One was that Jesus doesn't care. 
about me. Jesus doesn't care about us. And the second conclusion the disciples came to was, the worst case scenario is inevitable. So in other words, Jesus doesn't care and we're going to drown. And that seems implicit in what they say. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And sometimes, I'm sure, if we're honest, we've been in times like that where we have thought, does Jesus care? Or we have thought, I don't see any way out of this. Hearing about Goliath. I don't see any way of defeating this Goliath. I don't see any way. I've sometimes tried to do combat with him before. I've sometimes sort of attempted to get the sword out, but it seems to have have bounced back or he's come back at me. And we can be led wrongly to the conclusion that God doesn't care and that the worst is bound to happen. And you might be in that kind of a situation right now. It might be that you're not, in which case feel free to store up this message in your minds for some months to come when perhaps it is. Because I, I think I can guarantee that this year will involve Jesus leading us through times of testing. So if it's not now, it's a case of when, not if, we encounter these kind of times of testing. And maybe you're in that situation right at the moment. For us... A storm can be anything ranging from, from poor health, maybe depression, could circumstantially involve the loss of a job, could involve just being or feeling criticized by other people, or being accused, or being misunderstood by family or people close to you, or any adverse circumstance which kind of seems to cut across your walk with God. Now, it would seem from this passage that the disciples don't react in the best way. They kind of react with a panic. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So how should we react when we are facing a storm, when we are facing unpleasant times of testing. First of all, we need to recognize that we are not immune uh, from trouble. And actually, just by observation, sometimes it can seem that these really testing times, really testing circumstances, can come hot on the heels of having made kind of an important decision for God. Maybe it is to do with a new responsibility. Maybe, maybe you've been asked to step into something new. There's a challenge, but you feel a rise of faith. God is leading us. God is leading me in this direction. And then hot on the heels comes something testing. Um, just before Christmas, um, Rachel and I, we had a, a long journey ahead of us. We were going down to see uh, family in Bristol. That was a direction that we were kind of heading in and that morning when I first got into the car just to sort of maneuver it onto um, a flat piece of road so I could check oil I then realized something is not right with this car drove just a little while there's almighty crunch coming from under the bonnet and um, I had a hunch 
that as the car started to bounce along, maybe I'd just broken our suspension. And that's what happened. And so I thought, oh, but that's the direction we're going in. That's the way. We've got this long journey ahead of us. We're off. Today's the day. We're going. The suspension has just broken on the car. Sometimes life can throw the odd curveball. Sometimes maybe it's something more serious than that. Like I say, you've stepped out a new course. God has said, this is the way to go. This is my plan for you. Right, I'm going to take that step. And boom, hitting up against something. Hitting up against some trial. And uh, I think these words were, were read to us last week when we met together. From 1 Peter chapter 4. This is what we need to first of all recognize. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. So how should we handle these storms? A, not be surprised as though something strange were happening. But what next? What should happen next? What should the disciples have done? Should they have turned back when the going got rough? Well, no. Jesus had said, let's go to the other side. Well, should they keep going? But would the right thing to have done been not to wake Jesus? Jesus is asleep in the boat. Some people say he was asleep on purpose. But I just can't get that. I think Jesus was asleep because he was absolutely shattered uh, from all uh, the teaching and meeting with people that he'd been doing. So should the disciples have just cracked on with it? Just got on with it themselves and not woken Jesus? I'd suggest again, no. It is right to call on the Lord at any time. In Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15, it says... Uh, God is saying to his people, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God actually wants the kind of glory that comes his way when we, his people, have to say, help, God, I'm calling on you, Lord Jesus. There is never a time when self-reliance is the answer. There is never a challenge That should not lead us to call out to Jesus. And the route to overcoming is always through admitting that we need him. In Isaiah uh, 55 verse 6 it says there, uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We have this invitation. Jesus would never say to us, I'm not interested in you. I don't care about your circumstances. I don't care about this storm. Come on, just sort yourselves out. God invites us in these scriptures. He invites us again in Hebrews verse 4. If you get hold of it, if you get hold of anything, get hold of of these wonderful scriptures where we have in in Hebrews um, chapter 4, there's a description there of of Jesus being our high priest who's able to sympathize with everything that we might encounter in his life. And it just reaches this conclusion here 
in Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So if storm, if storms kick up, that is not the cue for you to get self-reliance. It's not the cue for me to think, well, I'd better just get my head down and handle this by myself. God always invites us to call upon him. So amidst, amidst all the panic and the dread, amidst the waves crashing over the boat, amidst the, the disciples perhaps pitifully trying to bail out the water, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The disciples were accusing Jesus of not caring. Rather than just have a go back at them, Jesus demonstrates his care. He demonstrates his compassion. The wind and the waves died down, and it was completely calm. The third thing that this passage shows us about the disciples and about our own lives is that, as we've seen, Jesus leads us. He leads us through times of testing. But there is purpose. There is design. There is a totally coherent plan. He leads us through times of testing in order to train us, to train his disciples for what lies ahead. Testing, tribulation, trial, times when it seems like panic might be the only option, those times are never the destination that God is leading us to, but rather something that God is leading us through. And there are several purposes, I think, for why Jesus did that in this particular situation, why Jesus does it for us as well. So we're just going to mention these three, three purposes. Sounds a bit simple. Purpose number one, why did Jesus go to the other side? Why did Jesus get into the boat? to get to the other side. Might sound a bit simple, but over the other side of that lake is a severely oppressed and demonized man who needs to be freed from his spiritual bondage so that he can come into his right mind. As you read the story onwards into chapter 5, that's the kind of next thing that we see. Jesus knows, God the Father knows, this is the right time to go because we're heading somewhere, we're going somewhere. There's somewhere for us to go to. And so sometimes the purpose of our testing, the purpose of us encountering a storm is actually for someone else's benefit. Jesus may be choosing to use us in our situation in order to bring comfort, in order to bring breakthrough, 
in order to bring kind of a message of his good love and his purposes to someone else who's going through it. That, I think, is, is reason or purpose number one in this whole situation. Why did they have to go over the other side? Why did they have to encounter this storm? What was it actually about? The second purpose seems to be this, that Jesus is looking to strengthen the disciples' faith in who he is. Notice he challenges them with these questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now when the storm kicks off, they call out, teacher! They've been listening to him teaching. They call out to him, teacher, don't you care? When he stills the storm, they ask, who is this? It's not just a teacher. It's not just someone with some wise words. They become more aware of Jesus, of his power, uh, than they were frightened of the storm. Initially, it seemed like the storm was the big fearsome entity. As a result of Jesus calming the storm, they realize, hang on a minute, someone in the boat here is worthy of more attention and more awe and more wonder than these circumstances that are kicking off around us. Someone more powerful than the storm is in the boat. It's only God that can say to wind and waves, be still, and they obey him. And so in this situation, the disciples, their eyes are opened more to who this Jesus actually is. Who it is that's in the boat with them. And they go on from there. Later on, um, Peter is, I think, has become convinced when, when asked, well, who do you say I am? People are saying different things about who Jesus is. Jesus asks Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. We know who you are. We know that you stilled that storm. We know that you um, healed the sick, cast out demons. We know that you have the words of eternal life. Jesus wants to strengthen their faith in who he is. He goes on to do that more and more. Because in a sense, the testing and the tribulation doesn't stop with the storm. They go over the other side to encounter a guy who is afflicted by a legion of demons. I'd suggest that is a pretty tricky and testing situation to be in. They go on from there. When they arrive back the other side of the lake, they encounter a sick woman, and they encounter a dead girl. Again, testing, tricky, harrowing situations to deal with. But in each and every of those situations, they see Jesus' authority triumphing in those situations. Jesus is strengthening their faith. And there's a third, person, third purpose behind that. He's preparing them for what lies ahead. He's preparing to send them out. We see in Mark 6 and verse 7, it says, or just at the end of verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village calling the twelve to him 
he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Through all this stuff that's been happening, Jesus is looking very specifically, very intentionally to prepare his disciples to be taking a more active part in his kingdom. For a while, as part of a big crowd, they've kind of been observing and hearing what's going on. Then in a more personal way, those disciples are invited to go along with Jesus on this mission that involves quite a bit of testing, quite a few challenges. But in the midst of it, their strength is getting, uh, their faith is getting strengthened. They're seeing more of who Jesus is and his power as preparation for them to then be sent out, no longer in a big crowd, no longer in a group of 12, but in groups of two. No longer to observe what Jesus is doing, but to get their hands more involved in well, preaching the good news, laying hands on the sick, seeing demons cast out. That's what God has got planned for them. Now, the disciples in the boat made the mistake of assuming that Jesus had led them into a crisis that there was no way through. But what we can see here is that Jesus knows how to lead his disciples. There are storms involved. There are circumstances that are unpleasant. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but costly. But there is purpose. Right over to the other side, they continue with a journey that God has planned from beginning to end. So heading into 2010, for us, here are three things that we can be absolutely sure of that Jesus will be leading us into new directions, new breakthroughs, new opportunities, new responsibilities, leading us into new victories over those Goliaths that have just seemed to always been there. Now, he's got plans to lead us on. He's got good plans to take us into new places as a church, things that he wants to open, up, open into and, and bring us through into. Maybe stuff that we've not seen before, a, a, a measure of the miraculous that we've not known before, a measure of seeing people come into his kingdom that we've not seen before. Maybe individually, those new opportunities, new responsibilities that we spoke of earlier on. Jesus will lead us. We will go through testing times. Let's not lose heart. Let's call on his name. Let's not give up in coming to our faithful, wonderful God. As we were singing earlier on, his love endures forever. Let's not, let's not give in to the temptation of thinking he doesn't care and the worst case scenario is inevitable. Jesus is in fact training us to grow in faith, to know him better, to believe his power, to be more and more involved in his kingdom purposes into 2010. If you hit up against opposition, if you hit up against depression, if you hit up against sickness, if you hit up against losing a job, if you hit up against trials and tribulations that you've not met before, know this, that God is with you, that God is leading you, that God will not let go of you, that God cares for you, that God has plans for your good, not your harm, and that those plans fit in to the plans of his whole kingdom of seeing more and more people 
come to know him, to know his power, to know healing, to know freedom, to know freedom from oppression and fear and from darkness. That's what he's got for us. Let's hold on to him. Let's not lose heart. Let's look forward to the things that he has in store for us because he's a good God. He leads us. He's with us. He's got plans and we can trust him.